right, everybody, it's time for another session of the Master Passive Income Podcast. My name's Dustin Heiner, I'm your host, and I'm so glad that you're here with me today. In the Master Passive Income Podcast, we talk all about real estate rental properties and how you can make enough money to quit your job, never work a job again, and live the dream life. A dream life where you make all the rules. You live life on your own terms. Now today, we talk with a lawyer. His name is Andrew Magwood of Magwood Law Firm. And what he is gonna share with us today is how to make sure we protect ourselves, protect our businesses, and protect our properties from people from the outside, and, and making sure that we have a lasting legacy that we can pass down to our kids and grandkids so that nobody's gonna take it from us. All right, everybody, now let's start the show where we talk all about how we can make sure we protect our business and protect ourselves. All right, guys, let's get in there and start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, the entrepreneur that failed his college accounting class, Dustin Heiner. Now, I'm super excited for this podcast session. And as I just said that, I realized we're talking about like lawyer stuff. How in the world can you be excited about lawyer stuff? Well, the reason why I'm excited is because I get so many questions from my listeners, from people who read my books and in the courses, and um, all these people are asking me about how to protect your business because we know that more than likely it's going to happen where we're going to get sued or somebody's going to slip and fall or somebody's going to try to take our stuff. And it's really a bummer, but we have to protect ourselves and protect our business. Now, even though it's going to sound boring um, to say that we're going to be talking about the law, and you know what's even funny is I actually like this stuff. And in like uh, another life, when I'm, I'm actually a smart person, I might actually want to be in a law firm um, or working as a lawyer or something like that. But, but I'm not smart enough. That's for darn sure. For some reason, it just really, um, it, I wouldn't say excites me, but I have a lot of fun learning about this stuff. Now, I want you guys to realize that you can use all of this to protect your assets, protect everything from other people that might want to take it away. Now, before we into that, I want to share with you something. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for very long or following me for very long, you would know that I am more of a frugal person where I have plenty of money, but I would rather, or I guess the reason why I have money is number one, I know how to make it, but number two, I know how to keep it. I know how to not just spend it willy-nilly. Recently, I decided to buy myself and my wife a new vehicle. And this new vehicle, it's awesome. It's a 2017. Obviously, it's, you know, it's a year or two, two years old now. Um, and I bought the vehicle and I was literally going to drive my Honda Odyssey, the 2007 Honda Odyssey into the dirt. Well, it's actually not running the best. So I decided to buy a new vehicle. Now I got a screaming deal on it as well as I'm going to make money in the long run. So, and I'm actually going to make money in the long run because I am going to be investing like a, like a rich person, like somebody who has money can use money to his advantage. And if you listen to next week's episode, I'm going to explain how I'm buying a vehicle and making money from buying the vehicle. 
I'm going to show you how I was able to buy a 2017 vehicle and have it paid for by somebody else. I will show you that whole process. So you're going to have to listen to next week's podcast to listen to that. But today we're going to be talking with Andrew Magwood. He is the lawyer that actually that I use. And so if you want to use him, feel free. I brought him on the show because I know he has great rate value that's going to help people like us, like regular investors, regular people just like us. Now I'm actually talking about estate planning. I have plenty of assets and plenty of things that I want to make sure it's going to be able to pass down to my kids. Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking about setting up your business right from the very, very beginning. Also, even how to even talk to lawyers, when to talk to lawyers, what to talk to them about, and all those good things. And if you're interested in learning more about real estate rental properties and how you can quit your job with passive income investing in real estate, I have my free course I want to give you. Go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, all one word, forward slash free course, and get your free course. I have videos in there. I have that free course for you to download. I also have worksheets. I have all that great stuff for you to get started investing in real estate. Now let's listen to this interview where we talk with Andrew Magwood of Magwood Law Firm and see what he has to say and his advice for starting a real estate rental property business and starting it right, buying properties, starting a business and running it right and protecting yourself from the outside. All right, guys, enjoy the interview. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for being here on the show. I'm super, super excited to have you here sharing your wisdom to me as well as everybody listening. Oh, no problem, Dustin. Thanks for having me, and I'm glad to do it. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you married with kids and where you're living and how you're investing now and what you do with your time and would you like to have fun, things like that. Just get to know you. Sure. Um, so, I am married and uh, have two children and uh, three turning on four grandchildren. Um, We all live in Connecticut. I am California born and raised, but I've spent about half my life in California and half my life in Connecticut. And right now we live in Connecticut. Um, A few years ago, uh, we decided to move and close all of our uh, California presence. So physically, there's no office in California anymore. And uh, open a new one in Connecticut where I've had practice for about 15 years. And um, it, as part of that process, I also wanted to get into uh, doing some real estate investing. And so um, we bought a duplex. Uh, I actually, my wife and I live in one part of it. Um, and the goal was just to move into it for uh, temporary and uh, and then find our, while we were looking for our own place. Um, it's worked out quite well. Uh, we rent out the other side, um, and we're looking for our next one right now. So we're doing that, uh, as a way to start building up our own, uh, you know, real estate business. Uh, as I've been practicing, uh, for these years, you know, we have to look for what are we going to do when we want to start looking at retirement and real estate really looked like, uh, a good way to do that. That's great. Yeah. And, um, I tell a lot of my students, as well as I speak on the podcast and share about house hacking, where you basically do what you did. You buy a duplex, you live in one uh, portion of it, you rent out the other one, and you either live for free or you even make some money. Um, and you're doing the exact same thing where eventually you're going to move out of that house and you'll have a full duplex where both sides will be rented or you know, top and bottom will be rented and you have plenty of, of cash flow coming in and you can keep doing that over and over again. So good for you. That's fantastic. Tell us a bit about your background in in law and what you do and what you're currently doing. Sure. I've been an attorney for, uh, boy, about uh, 15, 16 years now. Um, 
been on my own, had my own law firm for about 10 years. I have split my time um, both in my practice as well as in my life between California and Connecticut. And uh, I now currently have my office in Connecticut, although I'm still working in California as well. And um, I do probably about 50% litigation, which means anytime uh, businesses and people have conflict, I have to go to court and either defend or prosecute somebody's case. And then the rest of my work is transactional, uh, real estate transactions um, and that sort of thing. So are you able to work in every state or is only certain states that you're able to work in? So I'm licensed in two states, uh, California and Connecticut. And the way uh, law firms work is you have to be licensed in the state in which you are practicing. Um, so there's some nuance to it, but typically I can work in California and Connecticut unrestricted. Any other state um, would have to be kind of on a one-off deal. So uh, all that to say... Um, yes, I do work with people from all around the country, but I can only work uh, primarily in California and Connecticut. Got it. So investors like myself and the people listening on this podcast, the things that we're going to need you to do most likely are setting up LLCs if we want you to, protecting our assets and and other like estate type planning, stuff like that. You can do that for every, every state in the, the nation? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So as you and I were talking before the show, we were talking about how a lot of people, when they first start working with lawyers, they don't really know either how to talk to them, what to talk to them about, or even when to talk to them. So let's start with when should an investor, somebody like myself, or even somebody that's just starting, when should somebody talk to a lawyer? I would say that uh, before you put ink on paper for any deal, you should have an attorney already that you've at least retained. Now, that may not mean that you've, you know, transacted money and, and so on, because sometimes, and we can talk about that later, but, um, but you should at least have somebody in your corner. Um, the way that looks for me is I will get a call from somebody and say, Hey, I'm putting together a deal. Um, these are my objectives. These are my goals. This is what I think I need you to do. Um, and this is my timeline. It'll be six months down the road before I, you know, uh, put the deal together. Um, that's all we really need, but it's better to have that done before you ever put pen to paper. Because unfortunately, what I too often see is somebody will come to me and they've already signed something. And the question at that point is, how do I get out of this without losing my shirt? Um, it's much easier for me to help you on the front end than to extract you from a bad deal on the back end. And so going with that idea, because it sounds like a fantastic idea be, to have a lawyer, an attorney that's on your team, not necessarily retaining them where you're paying them every single month or anything like that, but somebody that you're going to be able to go to and that you trust that's going to be able to do exactly what you need them to do. Like you don't want to go after an ambulance chaser to do real estate. Maybe you maybe might want to, but I'm just saying I'd rather go with somebody who really understands the whole real estate process. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there are, so, the, so in many states, there are not specialties for um, 
for attorneys. And in fact, in some states, it, it's actually illegal for an attorney to say that they specialize in anything. Um, but that said, we all know that there are some people that do nothing but injury cases. Uh, you know, the guys with the big billboards everywhere. Um, and then there's the guys that, uh, quietly do real estate transactions time after time. Um, and, and even within that, you'll find some people that have done, you know, hundreds of residential real estate transactions. But the moment you get into, you know, like a triple net lease for a commercial, they've never even heard of it. So, um, I, I personally like to find somebody with a little bit of a broad background. Um, but you really have to think about what it is that you're trying to do. So for instance, for your investors and for, and for people that are, um, you know, looking for real estate transactions, uh, as, a, as a business, it would be better to have somebody that's got that broad real estate transaction, whether it just be commercial closings or residential closings, as well as somebody that has uh, maybe a litigation background or some business transaction background, because you're marrying a lot of different um, uh, legal realms and you need somebody that can be nimble. The other option is to have one guy that does your closings, one guy that sets up your LLCs. Um, and that's fine, but for me, for me, I would prefer to work with one person that can handle as much as possible. And then, and then that one person can kind of quarterback when you need to hire a specialist. Um, that would be my, my preference. So when you go to talk to some, talk to a lawyer to, to initially start, it's, you're, you're basically getting something on your team, correct? You're basically vetting just like you would vet a property manager, a realtor, a contractor, just saying, tell me what your services are. And let, I, I want to make sure that you're the right person for the team. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, and if, you know, attorneys are notorious for having a horrible bedside manner. Um, but that shouldn't deter you. You know, attorneys are just like any other business. You've got to be able to talk to them. If they're not willing to talk with you, move on. There's somebody else that will. Um, and, and, you know, with technology nowadays, uh, I almost never sit face to face with my clients. Um, most of my clients I get, uh, by telephone, we handle everything by, uh, by email and yes, even by fax still in 2019, we're still using faxes. Um, so that, that shouldn't also deter you. You should be able to talk to this person, um, communicate with them by email, by telephone, however it is convenient for you and your, and your attorney. But if they're not willing to, uh, just have a 15 minute conversation with you, find out what your goals are and say, yeah, I can help you with that. Um, or no, I'm not really the, your guy. Uh, then you need to move on and just keep, keep interviewing until you find somebody that you can work with, just like any other professional. So after we talk about when we should talk to a lawyer, how should we talk to a lawyer? Because I, you know, before I started talking to lawyers, I had no clue like what to talk about, how to talk, or you know, I, I had nothing, didn't know anything about real estate or law or anything like that. But tell us how we should talk with lawyers so we can kind of demystify it a little bit. So when you're talking to a lawyer, think like you're talking to any other professional, uh, like for instance, a doctor. When you go to a doctor, you don't want to get too 
into the nitty gritty about, uh, you know, the medical terminology and so on. You go in and you say, this is where I hurt. What can I do? And you rely on the doctor to tell you, here's your options. And let me, let me break things down and educate you. That's the same thing that I'm going to do to, uh, an investor. Um, let me give you an example. I have, I have a guy who I work with and uh, he had been doing remodels, um, on various properties. Everything was cash. Everything was um, a deal that he could handle uh, with a checkbook um, and a handshake. He started moving into areas where he needed to actually have um, banknotes drafted and notes between uh, private investors. He had no idea what he was talking about. He just knew. And, and, and the conversation kind of went like this. I have this guy that wants to give me money, but he wants to make sure that he doesn't lose his money. Um, that is perfectly okay because it's up to me as an attorney to say, okay, I, I see what you need. You need a written contract. You need a, a note that's secured. He had no idea. He was great at what he did, but he had no idea what that process looked like. So you need to go into an attorney and be able to say, listen, I'm trying to do X, fill in the blank. I'm trying to buy a real estate uh, duplex, put renters in it, but I'm getting a loan from whoever. Um, and then just have that kind of conversation. You should also uh, talk to your lawyer about your bigger goals, not just this one transaction, because it helps me to understand where are we going? Um, because there are certain things where if you tell me this is a one-off deal, then I'm going to treat you very differently than if you say, I'm going to be doing this every six months, because there may be some structures that we can put into place on the front end that will make every other transaction really easy, where I'm not going to spend that time, energy, and money uh, to do that if this is a one-off transaction. So you have to have, you, you just need to talk to them uh and, and by the way, um, this should go into, uh, you know, expectations. Um, initially, you will probably be able to talk to an attorney for nothing. Okay. Most attorneys will give you 15 minutes or so just to explore where you're going. You shouldn't expect to be charged for that sort of uh, initial consultation. And if you are, uh, which happens, uh, it would be a nominal fee. Um, once we start working, you're going to get a fee agreement and you'll understand you should, you should know upfront what you're paying for and what you're not paying for. But at the very beginning, uh, that exploratory stuff, you just need to go in and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. These are the transactions that I'm doing now and what I plan on doing in the next six months or five years. Um, and have that kind of conversation with your attorney. That's a that's a great point because I know before I started in, into real estate, I started thinking that you know lawyers you only talk to them when you're ready to pay them money, and so that's a great great point. Is it's just another person on your team making sure that you have somebody ready in case something did happen. And before that, like you said, Andrew, making sure that they know that what's coming down the pipe, so that 
when something does happen, he's already on the up and up, already has given you a little bit of advice to go in a certain direction. So that's fantastic. And so for everybody, Andrew is the guy that I am working with to make sure that all of my properties are taken care of. They're separated into different LLCs and a whole bunch of gamut of different things. My my business having 30 plus properties now will be different than how yours is, but you talk to your attorney and you can also talk to Andrew. Andrew's a great guy. I definitely um, recommend him um, and I'll give you his information at the end of the show. But I use him because I don't know everything and I don't assume to know the law. That's why I pay an accountant because I hate taxes. And I'm not saying I love the law or hate the law. I just don't know it. So I get somebody like Andrew. And so with my accounting, I pay my accountant. With anything law, I go to somebody like Andrew to make sure that I'm taken care of well because they're professionals. They know what they're doing and they're paid to know and to be up to up to date on all the changes in the laws and all that sort of stuff. In fact, there was something I asked Andrew uh, before we got on the show. I said, hey, Andrew, what about this? And he says, well, that's not something you would want to do. And I was like, oh, why? And he explained it. And I said, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad I talked to you. Okay, so Andrew, the last part in this beginning part. So what should we talk to the, the attorney about? We touched on it a little bit, but uh, when we are first starting our business, and you know, if, even if we have one or two properties, what should we talk to them about? And I, do, I did really love your example of basically, the, here's my problem. And then give it to you to figure out what the either the next steps are or how to get the best results and all that sort of stuff. So what should we talk about? So there's two things. One is the individual transactions. So anytime you get involved in any kind of transaction, and, and just so you know, um, I don't know where all your listeners are, Dustin, but um, about 22 states, mostly on the East Coast, require attorneys to close your deal. Uh, the rest of the states do not, and they're usually handled by escrow companies and escrow agents. That said, even in a state like California, which doesn't require attorneys at closing, I still recommend you hire an attorney for your closings um, simply because you're going to have somebody who, out of all the people that are in the transaction... An attorney cannot split his loyalty. So when you hire me on whether it be a, as a buyer or a seller, I am 100% committed to only you. Um, so I, I always call that the no fluff, no BS. When you call me, you're not going to have to wonder, oh, I wonder if he's looking out for the other side. I am not looking out for the other side. I don't care about the other side. I only care about my client. I'm, and, and I'm required by law to do that. I'm not allowed to split my loyalties. So. Even in a state where you don't need an attorney, technically, I would say you still should probably, uh, at least on the first couple of ones that you're doing, have an attorney on your side. Um, and so as to the individual transaction, you need to be talking about um, the deal itself, what, what the contract says. Um, don't assume things. Uh, you will get people, whether they be real estate agents or uh, brokers or somebody in the in the mortgage industry or somebody that will tell you this is how it's done. Don't assume that. Um, if it doesn't sound right, or if it or or if you just want to know, call me. Call call your attorney. Say, hey, I was just told that we have to put down five hundred dollars. I don't see that in the contract. Let me look at it. I'll look at it. Um, Remember, real estate contracts and real estate deals are all very, very contract paper driven, which means you may have 20 or 30 pages or one, uh, and you need to know what it says. That's where you can, uh, on the individual transactions themselves, 
talk to your attorney, find out what it is. The other, the other uh, flip side of that coin is have your wish list. Say, these are the things I want to have happen out of this deal. Does this paper allow me to do it? Um, and I can say no or yes or yes, but this is going to be a real problem uh, for these reasons. So as to the transaction, those are the types of conversations you need to have with your attorney. Um, and by the way, it's assumed by me and by other uh, attorneys that do this, that when you pay me uh, for this transaction, that's what you're getting. You're getting uh, it, it's not a, it's not something that I keep track of. Uh, usually we do these things on a flat fee. So you'll know what it costs up front. And if you pepper me with a hundred emails, um, that's okay. If you have one question and then that's all you ever need, that's fine too. Um, but you're not going to bother your attorney if you have a lot of questions. That's perfectly okay. Um, and, and by the way, the the questions on the individual transaction can be uh, anything related to the contract, anything related to title issues, um, land use. Uh, can I put two people in this? Sometimes there are zoning issues uh, that pop up. Um, those things are, are are all within the scope of what you should be talking about for individual transactions. Mm -hmm. Then the other side of it is you're in business. Now, what do we do? How do we protect our assets? How do I, I've got a personal home. How do I, how do I protect that? And that's where you start getting into business entities and so on. Um, my advice and, and everybody's situation is going to be very different, but in general, and you should talk to an attorney on this. Here's, I mean, there's the big lawyerly disclaimer. Go call an attorney and get, make sure that you, uh, get real legal advice for your particular situation. But my, my general advice is when you first start out in any kind of business, but even in a real estate business, um, the first couple of transactions is perfectly fine to do it in your own name. You don't need to set up a corporation. You don't need to set up an LLC. Make sure you've got, uh, good insurance. Make sure that you really trust your agent and, and you've explained to your agent or your, your insurance broker exactly what you need um, and protect yourself with insurance. When you start moving into what I would say, you know, the next level where you, this is going to be, this is really turning into a real business. Then you need to start thinking about how do I protect my own personal assets from business assets? And that's where you want to start thinking about business entities. Um, you have a range of options, um, everything from a sole proprietorship, which is what you are when you buy a, uh, a, uh, a house and start renting it. You're a sole proprietor. You're in business. Um, if you buy it with somebody, a partner, you, even if you have nothing in writing, you are a partnership. Um, that's a horrible way to go, by the way. I agree. Um, yeah, do, do not ever do that. And if you ever have an attorney that recommends that you do that, uh, you should probably go get a second opinion and and uh, look so, look elsewhere. Um, used to be that you had corporations and S corps were the were the favored uh, format format for uh, small businesses, um, but now. And for like the last 20 or 30 years, the LLC has really been the favored instrument. Um, and that's where I would suggest, uh, most people go. Um, uh, 
I can't even think off the top of my head why anybody would use a format other than an LLC. They're very simple to use. Um, every jurisdiction in the United States has them. You can form one in uh, specific jurisdictions, like everybody's heard of doing a Nevada LLC for tax benefits and so on. And there are other and there are other jurisdictions as well. Um, so I would say. Once you get to the point where this is really something, uh, and, and, and there's no specific number, but I would say when you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in assets, or you've got several properties, or you've got something that for whatever reason is triggering your, uh, your, your idea that maybe this is getting a little risky, um, that's when you really need to start thinking about, uh, an LLC. And then finally, once you've really gotten uh, your business rolling, then you need to start thinking a little more sophisticated. Even with that, though, what we're going to do is probably break you up into a couple, three, four LLCs, and we call it siloing, uh, sticking, you know, trying to spread out your risk uh, amongst various LLCs, uh, maybe involving uh, a, a trust, which would be part of your personal estate planning to manage the LLCs. And by doing this, what we're doing is we're setting up kind of paper shields between potential liability, whether that be, you know, a lawsuit from uh, somebody that was injured or dies in one of your properties or, or, or the, the, that would be the extreme cases um, to uh, just straight up uh, contract related lawsuits. And you're trying to trying to silo off your risk from your personal assets so that uh, the only thing that will be at risk would be the capital that's invested in that particular property. Um, you can do a lot of that with insurance, but then there are some things where you really have to break those up. And so when you get a little more sophisticated, you're going to be breaking your uh, properties up into various uh, LLC holding companies, which would then be owned by uh, the, a trust. Um, and you, by doing so, you're breaking, uh, the, the chain of ownership between you and the, and the asset in a way that, um, really will shield you. Even if some of it, uh, is only a paper shield, it's enough that it can, prevent you from losing your personal residence or if everything went uh, haywire, uh, you've still got your own personal assets, including your you know bank accounts and so on. That's fantastic. So uh, it, there were a lot of different things that you threw out that um, unless you've been in the game for a while, you might be thinking, oh, wow, that's a, either a lot of information. Like, I got to write all this down. So for somebody that, that's just getting started, you would walk them through every bit of the way, which is what you already said. And on top of that, they're not going to need to know um, like how to have, have the LLC and have the trust have, own the LLC and the LLC, like the whole chain of custody and all that sort of stuff. You'll take care of that, correct? That, that's something you do. You just say, I have X, like, like this is what I came to you and said, Andrew, I have 35 properties and I want to protect them. What do I do? And then you went out and said, we do this, this, and this, and this, and I'll take care of all of it. All you got to do is just make sure that, uh, you know, you sign on the dotted line. I'm like, okay, that's perfect. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly. And, and in fact, usually what I do in this kind of planning is you're going to have one meeting takes about an hour. Um, and ideally, you know, if you're married, your spouse will be there as well, uh, or at least involved in the phone call. 
Um, and that way everybody's on the same page. But what I would do at that point is I'm going to take copious notes. You're, you, you've seen our uh, worksheet. Um, it's, it's pretty formidable. Um, it's not designed to be overwhelming, but it is designed to be comprehensive. I'm going to take all that information plus our interview, and then I'm going to sit down and think through what the best plan is. And usually what I do is I actually draw it out. So you're going to get a, a, a piece of paper back in my scribbled handwriting that has boxes that show you, um, you know, LLC one has these properties. LLC two has these properties so that you can get a visual representation of what it's going to look like. But no, you don't need to know the legalese. That's what I'm supposed to do. Then we're going to have one more meeting. Um, and depending on if we do this face to face or if you have, uh, have to have it all signed with one of my mo mobile notaries, um, that also would take about an hour at which point you're going to be going through just signing the, the documents, return everything. Uh, and then, and, and then, uh, you know, basically the process is, is done. But no, you don't have to understand how it all works. I would, I would definitely say you should take an interest in it. And, and get and, and understand some concepts and ask questions. Um, why do I have to do this? Uh, why do we do that? But no, you don't have to do the, the funding. You don't have to do that. Uh, we handle all of that. But um, the, the biggest issue is make sure that you're crystal clear and it's okay to say, wait, stop. I don't understand what we're doing. Um, because I have had situations where I've set up uh, an estate plan and after we are doing the signing, I have one of the people saying, but I really don't understand why we're doing any of this. Um, that's the wrong time to ask the question. Ask the question up front. Uh, but you don't have to, you don't have to understand exactly what an LLC is. You don't have to understand exactly what the state laws are. Um, you know, that's what your professionals are for. And also remember that, uh, you know, as an attorney, I like to work with all your other professionals too. So, um, you know, as we, as you get bigger, that's when I'll be saying, okay, here's some tax implications. Let me call your accountant and he and I are, will, 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 will work this out between us. And then we'll come to you with solutions. We're supposed to be, be bringing you solutions, not more problems. And if all you come to out of a meeting with is, um, Hey, I don't know. And I, I don't understand anything. Then we didn't really serve you well. So our job is to give you solutions and say, well, you told us this is your problem. Here's a great solution. And, uh, this is the process that we get there. All right, Andrew. So, Everything you said is fantastic. Now, just imagine I am a new, basically a new investor. I listened to Dustin Heiner's podcast, Master Passive Income Podcast, and I thought, you know what? I want to start investing in real estate and rental properties, and I'm going to call up Andrew Magwood to see what I need to do. I'm going to get his advice, just like it's, it's recommended. So you mind playing a little role play where I ask you questions just like it would be the first phone call? Sure. Let's go. Awesome. Okay. So Andrew, this is the direction I want to go. I want to have an automatic business that runs itself. That is what I live on. Like I could basically quit my job and never work a job again and provide for my family with my business and continue to grow my business. What should I do? Okay. So I think we already talked a little bit about uh, the, the, the first transaction and maybe just keeping things in your own name, but we're going to move past that. And I'm going to say that the, the right structure for you 
when we talk about uh, starting a business is probably going to be an LLC. LLC just stands for limited liability company. Um, every state in the country has a LLC law. Um, and so you would need to start an LLC. Um, the LLC in many states can be a single member. Um, in some states, you cannot have a, a single member, um, but you could have a husband and wife as the two members of an LLC. So if you're married, um, you're probably going to be fine with an LLC. When you start your LLC, you're also going to need an EIN, which is an employer identification number. Um, this is so that you are your your business will now have its own uh, identification number instead of using your social security number and so on. Um, you're then going to need uh, a business bank account. This is going to be really important, but you first have to get your LLC, then you have to get an EIN, then you're going to get yourself a business bank account. Beyond that, then we need to start thinking about um, holding properties that you may already have that are business properties in the LLC. That's going to possibly require transferring those properties um, into the corporate. It's not a corporation, but oftentimes you'll hear lawyers talk about an LLC as a corporate structure. Entity. Yeah, um, exactly. So if you hear that, uh, don't think we're being schizophrenic. It's just that um, it, it's a shorthand for the the, uh, the the LLC. An LLC, just so you know, is um, a fairly new business entity. Um, not so new that uh, you know any of your listeners would have seen the beginning of it, but it's fairly new, and so all the uh, law books still refer to you know piercing the corporate veil, piercing the mm -hmm. corporate entities, or or a corporate entity. Um, and most of those principles are the same for LLCs. Um, so that would be that's where I would say you need to start LLC, EIN, business bank account, be transferring properties into the LLC, um, and every one of those things has a little bit of a wrinkle with them. The biggest one that uh, pops into my mind is that when you're transferring properties into an LLC, if they are encumbered, meaning they've got a mortgage or some other uh, note that is, um, that, that is securing that property, you will want to talk to the note holder, the lender, um, to make sure that they're not going to have any problems. In many times, the, they're not going to have any problem with you transferring the uh, ownership interest into the LLC, but it does happen where um, they will uh, have a problem with that. So that should get you 90% of the way. That's that's awesome. Um, so you brought up a couple of things that I want to bring up. So you just touched on having an issue or not necessarily an issue, but a thought comes up when you get a mortgage on a property. And if it's in your name, um, you can, it's easy to get a mortgage or refinance it, but if it's in a company's name, then it's a little more tricky. And so that would be, um, like you said, uh, you need to talk to the bank. I've also heard many people say that, um, you know, inside of contracts, and I've seen this inside of contracts or mortgage notes that you have with banks, there's a due on sale clause. So if you get a mortgage in your own name and then switch it out and put it into your company's name after the fact, if, now this is a big if, if the bank finds out which 
they'll have to have reason to look. But um, if they find out, they'll they can trigger that do on sell clause because there's a transfer of ownership from even though it's from you to your company, it's still a transfer of ownership, and they can say, hey, you have to pay everything up front. So that's to you know, explain a little bit what what you said. But so that in the beginning, you talked about a dual a dual um, LLC or or a multiple uh, person LLC or a single person. Can you quickly tell us the benefits or which one we should want to go after if the state allows us to go? I personally would go with a uh, a dual member LLC, and and here's the reason for it. If you're a husband and wife, um, you know, God forbid something happens to the primary person who's uh, the running the business, um, it would allow the non uh, call call them the non operating spouse um, a easy access to the assets and to the transfer of the uh, properties within that LLC if something were catastrophic, whether it be di- death or uh, disability, would happen to the operating spouse. Um, so, for instance, Dustin, if, if you had a, a two-member LLC with uh, your wife as a, uh, as, as a member, um, even though you're running everything on a day-to-day basis if you were to die and you had your operating agreement set up properly um, if push came to shove she could very easily step into uh, the shoes of the LLC and manage things uh, liquidate things whatever would need to be done so that would be my reason for it Um, there I, I have a big caveat here and that is at this point you really need to talk to both your attorney and your tax professional, because the first things, the, the questions that I, and I think we went over some of this already, you know, who's working, who has a paycheck, how are those paychecks? Those are tax questions. I can give you a legal advice, but ultimately I'm going to push it back and say, but we really need to check with your tax professional and say, is this going to make a difference for our tax picture? And there may be very good tax reasons why a single member would be preferred, but for me, for my, for my legal advice, I would prefer to have both spouses on that. If you have uh, spouses, other than that, if you have, uh, if your only option is to get a uh, a dual member LLC, and you're not married, um, then I would say you need to now shop for a jurisdiction that allows you to have a single member LLC, because I very much dislike having a uh, basically a non-participating and non-interested partner just for the sake of paperwork. That makes sense. So if I were to create an LLC, you said it in a jurisdiction, um, so let's just say another one state, and I wanted to get the LLC, and this is what I recommend. I recommend my students go to Wyoming. Everybody hears about Nevada, but I found that Wyoming is even better. That's where I like to um, tell all of my students to go register in Wyoming. Fees are relatively low. They have really good protection um, of, of identity. They have protection. It's, it's just really, really uh, well done. If I were to buy or you know, get an LLC, set one up in Wyoming, will I be able to buy property in every state? Yes. Yeah. There's no problem with that. In fact, um, you know, you can if you think about this on a on a macro level. I mean, uh, Disney is incorporated somewhere. 
um, but they own parks all over the world. Uh, there may be a wrinkle there because there may be certain jurisdictions, um, and when I say jurisdictions outside the United States that require um, you know, various licensing and permits of local situations, but we don't have that situation in the United States. Um, if you're a, if you're a Wyoming LLC, you can absolutely hold property in all 50 States and probably also U S territories. Got it. That's great. The one thing that I have heard of, say, if I bought a property in Ohio, Texas, um, Indiana, basically in one state, but I had my LLC in Wyoming. I have heard that outside foreign entities of that state. So if I'm buying in Indiana, um, this state, I'm not saying it is, but if the state wants other outside LLCs from outside the state to come in, if they're going to allow you to do work and business inside of um, uh, Indiana, they're going to want you to register your LLC as a foreign entity and still pay the franchise tax fee. Now, what I did, one thing I did find was um, I called up the Secretary of State in Ohio and I asked them, hey, I have a re um, rental property business. I own properties. My um, LLC is out of Wyoming and I'm holding properties. Do I, I literally asked them, I asked the guy that's in charge, do I need to have a registered as uh, my company registered as a foreign entity? He said, no, as long as you're not physically doing business, you're not selling goods, you're not, you're just holding property. No, you don't need to. So have you run into anything like that in other states where you definitely need to have that if you have real estate? Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head where I have found that they definitely require it. Although California is a little more strict than uh, some of the other jurisdictions that I've run across. But um, two things that you said are re really important. One is terminology. Um, even though uh, we, we use the term foreign uh, and often we think non-US, but remember within the United States, a foreign LLC is just one that's not formed in the state uh, that you're in. So Wyoming uh, LLCs would be considered foreign to Vermont, New Hampshire, or any other uh, state. Um, and the other thing is uh, registering them with the Secretary of State. It's a very state-specific thing. You did you did exactly what I would have done um, because usually the test is if you're doing business within the state. So they, they talk about interstate or intrastate business. And if you are merely holding property and collecting rents, you're probably not doing business uh, for most states. But again, the best thing to do is double check with the Secretary of State, which you did. Um, and that's exactly what your attorney would be doing as well, just double checking. But my, my gut reaction is you're probably not going to have to register in every single state that you hold uh, property in. That's great. So another question leads into uh, obviously talking to you and everything we're talking about with LLCs, we're talking about protecting ourselves, protecting our assets. And there's two questions, but I'll start with the first question. Um, what else can I do? Like insurance, like obviously we know we should have insurance, but if I didn't start an LLC, just if, if I didn't start an LLC, um, is it okay just to have it in my name, but have really, really good insurance and then eventually put it in an LLC because it's starting to become like a bigger business and all that sort of stuff? Um, what, what are your thoughts about insurance and, and being, using that as protection? Yeah, absolutely. And even, let, let, me, let me back all the way up. Uh, even if you never had an LLC or if you had 
every property in its own individual LLC, the first thing you need is really good insurance. You need, and, and by that you need pro, you need insurance that's going to uh, cover the the structure itself. Um, that's kind of a given. If you have a loan, uh, they're going to require you to have uh, some sort of insurance that covers the, the property itself. But more to the point, you need uh, a landlord policy. You have to make sure that you say, if you buy a regular homeowner's policy for anything, I don't care if it's got five units, they will not assume that you want a landlord policy. You have to actually ask for it. It will cost you more, but not much. And you'll need absolutely a landlord policy. You also need to make sure that your renters know that the landlord policy and your insurance does not cover them. If they want to cover the contents, their contents, they need to buy their own renter's policy. In most states, you're not required to disclose that. I would do it anyways. Um, and that way there's no dispute between you and your tenants and your property managers will probably take care of that anyways. Um, but as a landlord, I would make sure that my property manager or whoever is dealing with my tenants makes sure that they understand that my insurance does not cover them. And then finally, what you need to have, um, a, there, there's two other parts of insurance that you may want to have. One would be what's called a GL policy, a general liability policy that covers your business. Um, for a rental business where you've already got liability coverage in your, uh, in your homeowner's landlord policy, you're probably not going to pay too much for a general liability coverage. Um, this just adds a separate layer of protection. And then the final thing that I would recommend and you probably do this, you probably have already recommended this to your students, is a, an umbrella policy with at least a million dollar coverage. Yeah, absolutely. I firmly recommend both of those. Um, the umbrella policy is actually fairly inexpensive. I mean, I think I have, um, you know, all 30 of my properties together and I put them all under one umbrella and it's really... Uh, it's, it's very cheap. I'm not going to say exactly how much it is, but it's very cheap. So find a good umbrella policy that's going to cover liability because you definitely want to be covered. Okay, so that covers that question. Now, that leads into, okay, we're building a business. We want to have multiple properties. Should we have all of the properties under one LLC or should we think about breaking them up into different LLCs? How do we make sure that, you know, because if somebody wants to sue one property that's an LLC, will they be, go after, be able to go after all of them? And how do we make sure as we grow to do it right? Yeah, so the the short answer is it's going to depend on your specific situation and your risk tolerance. Um, if you have... Uh, multiple properties in a single LLC and you were sued. And when I say you, um, they wouldn't necessarily be suing you personally or individually. They'd be suing your, your company, your LLC, um, for something arising out of, let, let's say you've got five properties and, and they're all in a single LLC and property five, uh, has a, some sort of catastrophic, uh, issue where, it, you are going to be sued. That person is going to sue the LLC. Well, every asset that that LLC holds is available to recover. So you are at risk, every single one of those properties. And some, some people, and I've seen this uh, in my practice many times, where a land landowner will um, come to me and they have 
tried to move properties out of the LLC after they've been sued, the thinking that they're going to shield those properties. That will not work. Almost every state in the country has uh, what's called a fraudulent transfer act, and it doesn't. The, the name is a misnomer because it doesn't require fraud. It just requires you trying to move an asset that would be collectible. So, for instance, in California, um, the the fraudulent transfer act. All it says is if you know that you have a potential liability. So we're not even talking about a lawsuit at this point. And you move an asset for less than an arm's length transaction. Basically what that means is you give it to your brother-in-law, you transfer it from the LLC into your wife's name, you transfer it from the LLC into your own name. The court will then undo that transfer if the, if need be. Um, so so you the, the, the bottom line here is um, you have all those five properties hypothetically at risk. Um, so one strategy is um, to break up the properties into multiple LLCs. I've heard lots of people say um, that you should have every single property in a single LLC. I, I disagree with that. I think that that's, uh, that's overkill. But it's certainly a valid strategy, um, and it may and and it may be something uh, that would actually be worthwhile if you're talking about say ten properties each of a million dollars a piece. Well, um, that might actually be worthwhile breaking them up into individual properties because you have all that asset uh, at risk. Um, but if you're talking about say five five or six properties uh, that have uh, you know a total uh, value of a couple hundred, maybe three or four hundred thousand um, dollars. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't hurt to have that in one, but again, this is this is uh, you know based on your risk tolerance. The more the more you break things up, the better protected they're going to be. But the more complexity your business situation is going to be, the more sets of tax returns, the more sets of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of filing fees. So just remember that you're trading complexity for protection uh, when you do this. And also remember that the protection is not 100%. So if, let's say, we take, take those five hypothetical properties, we break them up into uh, five LLCs. Um, the there's a term called piercing the corporate veil, um, and it applies to LLCs as well. And it basically means that if I sue your LLC, I can then, um, in certain cases where you haven't uh, followed all the legal formalities properly, I can go right past the LLC and get to you personally. Um, well, there's also a way where you can reverse uh, the the corporate veil. And so I can sue you through corporation four or, or LLC four. And then once I've got a judgment against you personally, turn around and collect against LLC one, two, three. Now, obviously that's harder to do, um, than just if they were all in one basket. Uh, and, and in some cases, especially if you've done your corporate formalities properly each year, um, it may be impossible to do, but it is possible. So you're, the, my advice is usually to find a, a happy medium 
Um, it, you know, if you've got 20 or 30 properties, breaking them up into four or five, six LLCs of about approximately equal value would be a good strategy. Or sitting down and analyzing, maybe you've got some that are uh, of a particular risk. Um, you know, maybe you have a, a handful of properties that are uh, maybe low income or more accident prone, or maybe they're older properties, breaking those ones up uh, into separate LLCs to just kind of spread your risk around would not be a bad strategy. But again, that's going to be something that is somewhat individual because you're going to want to um, look at your own uh, risk tolerance. Um, I would say that if you've got 20 or 30 properties, it would be a bad idea uh, in any in, in any case to just have them all into one corporate entity. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And having each one having its individual LLC, that could be a little bit of overkill. My own personal opinion, that would be, I would say, and this is what I recommend to all my students, all my coaching students, is have a dollar amount that you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so if you have one property that's worth $400,000, that could be just one LLC because it's $400,000. But you may have, like I have a decent amount of properties that are under $100,000. So I might put you know, three or four in one LLC because it totals of $400,000. It just depends exactly, like you said, Andrew, your risk tolerance and how much you would be okay with if you did get sued and your insurance didn't cover everything and it just, your liability insurance, that it kept it kept getting worse and worse. Worst case scenario, they can go after all those. Okay, so you mentioned something that was really, um, could hit home to, not hit home, a question could come up really easily. And it probably comes in two parts. The first one, the part of the question is, how do you protect against piercing the corporate veil? Like, what should we do? And with that comes the question of, what do you need to do as an LLC? Like, do you need to have minutes? Do you need to have an operating agreement? Like, what do we need to do? So those are, you know, it's basically the same question or different parts of the same question. So how do we make sure we do the LLC right? Okay, so the the, the first part of it is, how do you uh, prevent yourself from being pierced let's call it that um and the, and the answer to that is you have to follow all the corporate formalities um some of those are going to be state specific uh but there are general things that you have to do basically do your paperwork every year file your annual filings um you do need to if you if you're and, and again this is going to be state specific um so some some uh states require an actual annual meeting um, of the uh, members. I I often will say shareholders, but uh, again, there's no shares in an LLC, it's members. Um, And and so uh, some states actually do require a annual meeting. Um, Some of those can be, you can do those on paper, by the way, but you do do basically just need to have corporate formalities formed. Another thing is... Oh, pause that. So if we did do those corporate formalities like minutes, we don't have to send those out to some company or sorry, some some government agency. That's something we just hold internal and just make sure we can provide that when we're done. Or do we actually have to give that to somebody? No, no, you just... Uh, so so there's, two, there's two parts. There's an annual statement that's required 
uh, in every jurisdiction. And it's just an annual filing that usually, um, I, I'm thinking of California as a, as a model, it basically just requests that you update who the, who the registered agent is um, and who the members are, and you file that with the state. So there, there is a form, and as far as, I'm, as far as I know, every jurisdiction has basically the same type of form, and it, it's just a, usually a one-page form. So that's one part. Uh, that's the formal part. Um, the informal part is what you were suggesting, whether there's, if there is a requirement for meetings and minutes and so on, no, those you keep yourself, but you do have to keep them, keep good records, make sure that they're dated, make sure that they're signed, make sure that they're, uh, created timely. Um, you, you know, what you don't want to have happen is when you get sued, all of a sudden, uh, you know, you produce three years of meeting minutes that were all dated on the same day. That's that, that just looks bad. Okay. And, and, and remember when you're, when we're talking about piercing the corporate veil, the, the principle behind it, and this is actually kind of important because sometimes we get lost in the weeds. Um, the principle behind it is the law is not going to protect you personally. If you act like you and your company are one entity, the more it looks like you and your company are one entity, the more the courts are going to say, we shouldn't protect you because you're acting as if it's all one entity. So what does that look like? It looks like you pay your car note and your gas bill out of your company paycheck, out of your company um, uh, bank. Uh, bank account, right. Um, you... You don't file tax returns. You you commingle your own personal funds without actually documenting it. So it's perfectly okay, for instance, if you needed a, a, an injection of capital in your company, maybe to cover taxes or cover a loss or something like that. It's perfectly okay for you to deposit twenty, thirty thousand dollars into your business account to cover that. But you also need to document it properly. So basically, the more it looks like you and the company are one the easier it's going to be for me to get through that corporation or LLC to you personally. The more it looks like you're actually treating the business as a separate entity, the better it's going to be. So one thing that often happens in, in a lot of my small business clients is I mentioned the car payment because that actually comes up so often. Um, that's actually perfectly fine because maybe you've got a truck or a car or something like that that is a business asset and the business is going to pay for it or maybe that maybe you're going you're going to call that your compensation that's perfectly fine to do just make sure you clearly document it but usually usually when i'm called in people haven't clearly documented it um, they just bought their wife a truck or something like that and they're paying for it out of the business account and there's no paperwork that shows why we're doing that so again think of your business think of your llc as if you didn't own it. Um, if you worked for, you know, ABC Corporation, how would they treat that uh, transaction? That's how you need to treat it, even though it's you personally signing on both sides of the of the transaction. You need to treat it as though it's a separate entity. That's that's awesome. Yeah, um, I know many many people. Actually, especially the IRS, they say don't commingle funds. You know, basically they IRS and well. Tax and law are to two totally different things. So yeah, Andrew is great at law. 
but definitely talk to your accountant because I talked to my accountant and about um, you know commingling funds and all that sort of stuff, and he had a totally different ex- um, explanation or recommendation. Um, and so uh, he says this might not be the same for law, so don't talk to me about law. I'm just talking about taxes. So definitely talk to your own accountant about taxes and how that can fit, affect you. So now, Andrew, going on from there, probably one of the last things um, is is talking about like an operating agreement. Do we have to provide those? Are there any other documents that we have to have, um, you know, documenting who's what and all that sort of stuff? Um, do we need to have actual officers? And I know that is usually when we file with the, the jurisdiction or the state, we, we put that on there. But like operating agreement, do we need that? Or is there any other type of documents that we're going to need? Yeah, so the there's, again, just like the annual filing uh, situation, there's what's required by the state and then what I would require as your attorney. Number one, um, and, and if you've if anybody's ever filed a LLC or a corporation in any state, you know that it's usually one sheet of paper and uh, a, a, uh, a filing fee and that's it. And you can you do it pretty quickly. Um, and there is no requirement uh, in any state that I'm aware of that you actually have um, either an operating agreement or uh, any kind of um, bylaws or anything like that in order to legally have a, a, a business entity. That said, if you do not have a personally crafted operating agreement, you are doing yourself no favors. Um because uh, back to the piercing the corporate veil, if you don't have an operating agreement, it kind of looks like you're not really doing business. But the bigger issue is the operating agreement is um, the the future planning. So you're supposed to be thinking forward and thinking about contingencies like what happens, and I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, what happens when I die? What happen, Who runs this business? Your operating agreement will tell that. Um, your operating agreement will also have uh, issues about, we, we usually talk about the three Ds, death, divorce, and disability. Um, but basically anything that goes along those contingencies, um, if somebody dies, if a member dies, what happens to those shares? If uh, there is some sort of marital issue in a husband-wife issue, you need to figure that out in the uh, LLC because what you don't want to have is um, a, a, a corporate problem along with your marital problems. One's bad enough. Uh, if you're disabled, how does somebody, like, for instance, a spouse or a successor, come in and manage these properties? Um Profits are also uh, something that's covered in an LLC. How do I uh, distribute profits? How do we uh, require capital investments? All of those things are really important to get down um, early and for for both reasons. One is that they will help make the business look business-like uh, on paper so that when you are sued, um, and by the way, 70% of small businesses are sued. Um, so when I say when you're sued, you probably will be sued at some point, hopefully not in a catastrophic way, but um, it happens. And uh, having those things in place 
certainly makes it look like you and your business are not one. Um, and then the other thing that it does is it really makes things functional when something haywire happens. You always do your planning when you don't need it. Just like insurance, you buy it when you don't need it. You hope you never do need it, but when you do need it, if you didn't do it, that's going to be a real problem. Um, unfortunately, nobody ever calls me and says, hey, Andrew, everything was going well. I just wanted to pay you some money. Usually what it is is I got sued. I have a, a, an attachment on my property. So the sheriff just came and uh, took my car. What do I do? That's the wrong time to do your planning. And the and where and and the the action part of planning for for your business is in your operating agreement. That's great. I am currently to let everybody know I'm currently working with you to do all my estate planning and making sure that I, I just I think I I've learned a ton of stuff in my many years of investing, but I don't know everything and the laws change and so I need somebody like you that is is knowledgeable but also keeps up on it and make sure that I'm going to be doing everything right. Plus. I love just being able to hand things off and say you're the you're the professional. Let me have you take care of it rather than me who I'm I would it would take me forever to do it number 1, number 2 I'd probably do it wrong. And so I'd rather pay somebody like you that would be able to do it right, get it done right the first time and get it done well. Okay, so everything we talked about, I mean you got into trust which is a whole another thing we could talk about well we're not going to get into that um, cuz that's uh, more more advanced. But um, everything that you talked about do you provide these services now? And can you provide to any of these services? Like anybody that's listening to the podcast, would they be able to contact you and say, hey, I'm really looking forward to doing this. Can you help me with this? Is that something that you provide? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, um, people can get a hold of me if they want. Um, I have some information on, on my website. Uh, so you can feel free to click around there. There's issues. Some of it is, is state specific. Um, but you know, you can look at things and get a, articles and so on and get a good idea. Um, because you know, every jurisdiction is, is different, but, um, not so different that you don't get a good idea, uh, just based on you know, state-specific information. Awesome. So, Andrew, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know there's there's many, many questions that so many people have, and hopefully we've covered lots of them because all the questions that I get around, this is the, these are the white reasons why I ask these questions because I get these from all, my, all the students and also all the listeners of the podcast. So thank you so much for giving us your time. How can... How can anybody listening to the show, how can they reach you? How can they get a hold of you? How can they read more about you? And basically just say, hey, Andrew, I'm in this position. Help me to figure out how the best, you know, get to the next level or, you know, protect my, my assets. How can they find you? Uh, my website's the easiest way. It's Magwood Law, Amazon Mary, A-G-W-O-O. D is in David, L-A-W.com. There's a contact form right on the uh on the website, along with articles and so on. Um, if you put in there uh, either Dustin Heiner or Master uh, Passive Income, um, I'll make sure that I get back to you right away. But if you contact, it, the contact form goes right to my email. Um, and I usually, even if you don't put that in there, I usually get back to you promptly. But if you do put uh, Dustin Heiner or Master Passive Income, I'll get back to you right away. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate you again, all the time you've given all the, all the wisdom. And I will say for, for Andrew, um, number one, I'm using him. So I highly recommend Andrew, but number two, um, even though everything you've heard on this podcast, um, is good general advice. Don't take everything we said as go do this. 
you need to also talk to either Andrew yourself so he can make sure it's right for you. Or if you don't go with Andrew, make sure you talk to your attorney. Like I'm not an attorney. Andrew is, but this is a podcast where we're just educating. You need to talk to somebody that really is going to look out for your best interest. And so I suggest going with Andrew, but if you go with somebody else, absolutely do that. So you guys, I really appreciate it. And so Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. You're welcome. Now, if you are still here listening to those podcasts and you made it through and you're not bored out of your mind, then I, I applaud you. This is fantastic. I get excited learning about this stuff. It's really, really interesting to me, especially because I have to um, know this stuff, for number one, for my business, but I want to be able to share it with you. And I was super excited to have Andrew Magwood of Magwood Law Firm on my show because he's, he's, he's a very busy guy, and I was able to get him on the show to hopefully help you out. Now, if you would like to talk to him about your business, how to set up your business while well, he does all that sort of stuff, even estate planning, which he's fantastic at. And I'll have all of this written in the show notes of this podcast session, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 045. This is the 45th podcast episode forward slash 045. And don't forget your free course and it'll be in there as well. Forward slash free course. I'll get you that. And as well as inside of the description of this podcast, I'll have all the links in there for you. And if you enjoy the show, I would love it if you would just pass it on to just one person. Just tell one person who may be interested in changing their life forever. This is the reason why I have this podcast is so more and more people can literally get out of working at J-O-B, the just over broke job, get out of that and live the dream life. One where they live life on their own terms, where they can not worry about bills anymore. They can buy the things that they want instead of the things that they need, where they have more time in their lives to do whatever they want, not miss their kids' little league games. Now, I want you to share it with one person. But again, as always, thank you so much for being here on the podcast with me. I'm super excited that you are investing and changing your life. All right, guys. Again, thank you so much for listening. Get out there and change your lives rather and start investing in real estate. See ya. Thank you.